Heinfeiner, thank you so much for this opportunity to be at camp meeting. Thank you for Dr. Um, and I just pray that we will get out of it what you would like us to and help us to carry it forward in our lives to better serve you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. How many of you feel that, that you may have breakdown in your life right now? You don't have to raise your hand. And how do we bring about breakthrough in the place of breakdown? That's been on my mind. And I thought there's some, of course, Jesus is the one. I thought there's some, you know, tremendous insight that we have gained in that area of uh, bringing breakthrough in the place of breakdown. But I came to realize that to be able to experience breakthrough in the place of breakdown, what is most needed in our lives is to take actions. In other words, we got to do things differently. You know what I mean? And then doing things differently is something that we need to start from today, right now. We can make that choice right now, okay? And so some of the stuff that we are learning, the disciples can happen really powerful way when we start incorporating into our lives and then start what? Start allowing that to be a, you know, just norm for new practice and uh, new principle in our lives. And we, we start practicing it. And, and that's the way, you know, God wants us to, you know, experience change because it's going to take your choice and my choice uh, to do things differently. Uh, to someone who, was, uh, who had been paralytic for the past 38 years, what did, what did Jesus say? Yeah, he said a couple of things. First of all, do you want to get well? Because it is really calling for what? For a choice. Do you want to make that choice to, to do things differently and to be better and to be transformed? Because someone can, uh, someone can define insanity. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, expecting this, you know, different result, right? Jesus called them to make a choice. And so how many of you today want to make a choice not just to get better, but to be transformed every day, every moment of our life? Instead of expecting someone else to, to be transformed, we want our lives to be transformed every day, every moment of our lives. Amen? And if you read the Bible with that attitude, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change our lives in a tre- tremendous way, right? And then Jesus says, once Jesus found out that he wants to get better, and then Jesus says, what? Take up your mat and what? If you look at Ellen White's writing, Ellen White said that at one point of his life, this paralytic made a choice to meet Jesus no matter what, and choice to be healed by Jesus no matter what. And by the time, and he was paralytic, he was unable to move himself. And so he could have made, a, he could have made excuses and he could have justified that, no, oh, I can't walk, so I can't go to Jesus. But when he made a choice to go to Jesus, Lord provided him with four friends who could, what, lift his bed up and then bring it to Jesus. And by the time he came close to the house, the house was full, it overcrowding the whole place, and there is no way they could approach Jesus. So right on that point, he could have made an excuse, right? It's like, there is no way to go to Jesus. Let's give up. This is too much. I'm being too selfish. But Ellen White says that right on that point, it was he, it was him who made that suggestion to his friends that let's go up to the roof <laughs> and then cut off the roof and come down and meet Jesus. He made that choice. And Lord supported that choice, allowed that to happen, and God gave him the resources that he needed, and his friends were willing to do anything for him. The point that I want to make is that when we want to be healed, when we choose to be healed, when we choose to 
bring you know transformation in our lives, then heavenly agent, God's resource, resources are there to make things happen. But it's until, but it's until we make that what? Choice. Amen. And then when he came down from the roof, when he saw Jesus, and when he when Jesus said, Your sins are what? Forgiven. And Eloise says that when he heard that comforting word from Jesus, he was longing to hear because he was really bondage and sin and guilt and all that. And then finally he said to, he to, he said to himself that, you know what? Now I can die in peace. He was ready to die. He was more than ready to die. It's just life was too much for him. And then Jesus said what? No, your life is not over. Your life is about to what? Begin. Begin. <laughs> Amen? Amen? When you think that your life is over, when you think that you're at the bottom of your life, when you think that there's no way we can get better, my life is already gone out the window, I live my life, I'm all, you know, whatever, I'm exhausted, all my resources and so on, I'm hopeless and so on. And not only he forgave our sins, but he tells us, Get up and what? Walk. And he just got up and walked. So it is my prayer that as we open up and share our session today, that I want this moment, I pray that this moment to be a moment that you hear from the Lord, that it's time for us to what? Get up and what? Walk. And then you find yourself what? Walking and running. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Amen. You know, I, I always tell my wife, since maybe because I'm blue, I always tell my wife, honey, you better stay with me. <laughs> you better stay with me because life is about to get better. <laughs> and the mother said, you're saying that every day. And then, and then I tell you, Jewel, you got to believe in it because, you know, tomorrow will be better than today. And we have not, no time to talk about divine perspective, God's perspective on us in that our eschatology, our view of the end, has everything to do with not only knowing what's going to happen in the end, but in Christ, it already happened. <laughs> you know, in that we live today, not only looking toward tomorrow, we live today from the end perspective in that we bring in the joy and ultimate victory, ultimate uh, fulfillment, ultimate restoration. We bring that joy of ultimate restoration today and start experiencing the joy of heaven, foretasting the joy of heaven when? Today. Why not? I have something to share. There is one guy who was dying. He was dying. He was dying in Africa somewhere. He was, he was a serving. He served the Lord forever, and he was dying of malaria or something back then, way back then. 
and his family members came, friends came, and they were trying to console him. They were trying to really comfort him. But he was just too full of joy, so they got bothered by this. Are you so happy to leave us? <laughs> and he said, when I get to heaven, I will be joyous without any sorrow. And only time and only place where I can experience joy in the midst of suffering is on this earth. I don't want to lose that chance. I don't want to lose that possibility. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 and on, 3 to 5 tells us that, you know, you know, rejoice in the midst of suffering and hardship and all that. It's not because of suffering, because what we, not only what we shall become, but because what we shall become is something that we bring into our days today and we allow ourselves to ex start experiencing it today. So power of resurrection is readily available today. Amen? And therefore, transformation is possible in Christ. Amen. I want to tell you something today. As we talk about our growing up issues, how many of you, um, how many of you experience growing up is one of the most challenging thing ever? <laughs> really? All of you grew up, right? No. no? <laughs> am, I, am, I, am I not seeing it right? All of you seem to be grown up. Yeah. Is it not? Well, the reason I just raised my hand is because I feel like that with having a Christian parents, I actually I didn't have any real big trauma mm -hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, you, you had a very... Smooth sailing, so to speak. Yeah, okay. And that's a blessing, too. That's a blessing, you know? So let's talk about it. Whether it will be true or there's a blind spot in your life that maybe you don't see what you need to see, you know? So we'll find out. Thank you for being authentic with me. Okay, let's talk about growing up, okay? Because this is a very important class because... One of the first steps that we all need to take when it comes to, you know, getting married, in the process of marriage, one of the first steps is to what? Is to leave our parents. Leave our parents. It's important to know that not only ladies, not only wife needs to leave her, husband, her parents, but it tells us that man needs to what? Leave his parents. Whoa which is totally unlike Asian culture especially, you know? You know what I mean? God knew that woman's going to leave, but then he's, he's making it very sure that man needs to leave because man needs to take the ownership about intentionally assuring a place for marriage to take place in order for marriage to take place to be rid of those in-law issues and all that. It doesn't mean that we should cut off our parents, but it tells us to leave. And then I'm telling you, that leaving is necessary in a sense where we are called to leave the unhealthy patterns of the past, unhealthy patterns of the childhood, right? Because it is very possible the unhealthy patterns of relating might be still what? 
with us without us realizing it. Another crazy thing about growing up is that it might be shock for you to realize that when you date somebody, as you, as you marry somebody, it's called mate selection, you end up finding someone who might be equally stuck in the developmental process. What? In other words, if I'm stuck in the middle of childhood, then I may find somebody who is similarly stuck because similar, similar, similarity attracts. You know what I mean? It's something that you're familiar with, so you're being attracted to it. So as much as I need somebody who's healthier than me, it is very possible that if I'm stuck in my own developmental years and I may very well find somebody who's around there in that place together. So if I'm stuck, if my, if my wife is stuck, then what's going to happen to that marriage? You get? Really? Stuck. stuck. Then what's going to happen to your children? They get? Really stuck. What's going to happen to the society? What's going to happen to the church? You see? I know this is a very, <laughs> this is a very negative you know, view of everything. And, and knowing that none of us are perfect, right? None of us are perfect. None of us are okay in that sense. Not all of us have our own brokenness to deal with, right? You know what I mean? And I came to realize, but we don't realize our brokenness until we get what? <laughs> until we get married. Isn't it true? How many of you realize before you get married that, man, I, I'm a broken person? How many of you realized it before you get married? It was you. Ah. I had a couple of years where I said, God, I got to get my heart in myself. Mm. Get you see, that's, that's unusual, very mature for you to experience that. Even for me, I didn't know that. I got married when I was 25, and I thought I was old enough, young, you know, mature enough. Little did I know. My father presided the wedding, and when he said, will you marry this woman, blah, 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 and I said, yes, not knowing what I was getting into. <laughs> and then I came to realize that, you know, no wonder why men wear tuxedos, black tuxedo, when they get married. Why? Because for men, it's a funeral day. No, just kidding. <laughs> and then for women, they wear white dress because they're being victorious. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> and so, you know, I didn't know. I had no idea. And then after five, ten years into marriage, and I came to realize that, wow, I thought I was perfect kids because I grew up as pastor's kid, PK. And, and then I came to realize that, wow, only thing as a human being, only thing that I can bring to God is my brokenness and my weakness. And get this, Jim Simbala said this, New York Tabernacle Church pastor, he himself once experienced real brokenness in his life. And he said, God is attracted to our brokenness. God is attracted. Oh, no, this is what he said. I, I, I rephrase it. God 
is attracted to our weaknesses. Jim Simbala. Jim Simbala. God is attracted to our weaknesses. Why? 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 Because, because that's the only thing we can bring to God. That's the only thing. In its raw form. Our incompleteness. We need to bring, we need to be authentic about our inauthenticity. <laughs> That's how we come to God. You know? And Steve Audubon is the guy who started the New Life Clinic in California. And he himself gone through tremendous ordeal in his life. His wife left him and all that. And then he came, he came to the Lord being broken. And he came to realize that, you know what, I'm not okay. And then he came to realize, not only I'm not okay, you're not okay. But, but it's okay. Because it's fixable in Christ. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And so we can only go to God in that place of brokenness. And there, it is no wonder if you look at, let's take a look at, if you have your Bible with you, uh, let's take a look at book of uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is a proclamation of the the mission of the Messiah, right? When Jesus came and Jesus was, uh, you know, taking the quotation from uh, Isaiah. And then verse 18, this is what Jesus says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and then recovery of sight for the what? Blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay? And then to just make it very uh, clear about this passage is that Jesus said when Jesus came to minister to his people, I came up with this three human condition that all humanity were in, it's called 3B. Yeah, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to come back to our syllabus today. I'm going to go through it very quickly because I need to contextualize it. 3B has to do with three brokennesses. All humanity fits in. First brokenness is bankruptcy. Is it right? I don't know how to. Bankruptcy, okay? And then second brokenness is bondage. And then third brokenness is blindedness. To sum it all up, I kind of sum it all up this way. The bankruptcy has to do with poverty. In other words, 
we're not able to help ourselves and we are unable to do what we, you know, you know the, the stuff that we need to overcome, power of addiction and all that, we are unable to do it. So poverty has to do with our inability. Our, we are powerless over the power that overcome us. And bondage has to do with, with the stuff in our lives that takes away the sense of freedom in our lives, such as what? Guilt and shame and all those things, even though there's a godly shame, godly, you know, godly guilt. But bondage has to do with what do you think is the extreme version of bondage? What do you think is the ultimate form of bondage in our lives? Sin, yeah. What, 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 what does sin result in? Ultimate form of bondage is, so this one has to do with sickness and illness. Not only physical, spiritual, all kinds of sickness and illness that we are not whole. Uh, in Greek, asthenosis. I mean, don't have time to go through it. And we are, we are like, you know, in, in brokenness, in the, so to speak. This talks about real brokenness in that we are, we are, we, we are, you know, we are ill and we are not well. And the second thing, greatest form of bondage is what? Is, I call it death. Death is the ultimate form of bondage. But then what brings real bondage in terms of physical death is a spiritual death. In, in, the, in, the, you know, in a sense of being what? Separated and alienated from God. And then separated and alienated from one another. And so much so that, you know, we always said that oh, my, our relationship is dead. We're alive, but we're dead in our relationship because we're alienated and separated, Right? And so the ultimate form of it is death. And then thirdly, blindedness, that we're not able to see what we need to see. So among all this, what do you think is most urgent when it comes to needing healing in our lives? Are you with me? Well, blindness. blindness, right? Because we, you know, since we are blind... We're not, able, we're not even able to see that we're powerless, and we're not able to know that we're in bondage, right? So the most urgent of all is what? Is an area of blindness. We need insight from God. We need to see things in a way that God would have us to see. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need enlightenment in our lives, you know, and so on. And that's where this kind of seminar comes in, and, and then your study of God's Word comes in, and Holy Spirit comes in, and all that. So... This tells us, and all of us are in this category of brokenness. And then Jesus came to bring power when we are powerless, and he brings freedom when we are in bondage, and then he brings enlightenment and understanding in, in an area of what? Blindedness. Amen? Amen. So how many of you tell me, how many of you can tell me, raise up your hand, tell me that, hey, that doesn't describe about me. I don't belong there. I'm an exception of that. Well, if I don't know that I'm broken, then we're that much broken. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know that I'm broken, then I'm that much broken. You know what I mean? So we all humanity. That's why I think love about the Bible because, man, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 
gives us the divine diagnosis on all humanity. Everyone fits there, right? So we all have a what? Growing up to do. Amen? Amen. I'll get to you. And I got in touch with the brokenness in my life, you know, through my family dynamics where, you know, my mother died early when I was like 17 and my youngest brother was in the elementary school. And then I never thought that my mother would die on us because I was praying to God, even skipping lunch. I was praying that God would heal her. My mother had severe liver cirrhosis and I didn't know back then, I did not know the severity of it. So I was praying and praying. And I was even holding onto the pine tree. I said, until the root of the pine tree comes out, I'm going to pray when I was in high school. So I knew that I thought I was, I knew for sure that my, my, my mom wasn't going to die when everybody around me telling me that you got to be prepared for her death. And I said, no, 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 I'm, she's not going to die. Oh, man of little faith, <laughs> she's not going to die. That's how I responded. And then one day, you know, I went and visited my mom, and then my mom peeled off the, you know, Asian pear to me and allowed me to eat that. I don't know why she did that. It was painful for me to eat that pear. And after I ate that pear out of obedience, and then she looked up to me and said, Song, I have something to tell you. And I said, okay, mom, I thought she was telling me some, you know, final wishes or something. So I was like... You know, really being, just being really respectful and say, hey, mom, please tell me whatever that's in your heart, please tell me. And she started crying. And she couldn't continue. And then she said, son, I'll tell you later. And the next day, casually, I went to, you know, her hospital. And then everyone trying to avoid me. I said, this is weird. Everyone tried to avoid me. All the nurses I know, everyone tried to avoid me. And then I felt kind of strange. And then I, the minute I went into the room, my mom's body was already covered. And I became so angry at God. And I was like kicking and screaming while my, wife, my father was sitting down and crying. I went into the restroom. I closed the door, slammed on the door. I was like kicking and, you know, God, why? I can't believe this. And after that, to make the long story short, I was praying. I really needed to know what my mom wanted to tell me. I really needed to know. It was just driving me crazy. So again, I went up to the mountain every lunch hour, skipping lunch, go up to the mountain and praying. After one month into praying, one day, I was reminded by the scene that I had forgotten about a long time ago. It was just like as if it happened yesterday that I was introduced to a scene where I was, I, I was woken up by somebody murmuring just next to my bed early in the morning. I woke up, and it was my mom kneeling and praying for me. And so I got extremely interested, right? Man, what on earth? My mom is praying for me in this early hour, so I pay attention to it. 
And of course, I didn't tell her because I didn't want to shock her. <laughs> so I was listening to it, and this is how she prayed. And that's how I remember after one month into praying. Lord, here is my son, my humble son. I am giving him to you as an offering. And at the time when I was hearing, man, my life is over. <laughs> With my, my per, without my permission, my mom is giving me as an offering to the Lord. And then my mom, my mom continued on saying that, you know, Lord, please take my son and use him as your service. And then the Holy Spirit was just overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly telling me, the son, what your mom wanted to tell you is that he wanted you to be a servant of God. And though when I was hearing her prayer, I felt like, man, I'm doomed, I'm stuck. <laughs> but God was assuring me that that was her wishes for you. And guess what? In 19... 80, 1989, I believe, I got ordained as a pastor in Chesapeake Conference. Amen. The conference president asked me to preach a sermon on Sabbath morning. And he asked me, what will be your title of the sermon? And then Lord gave me an inspiration. And he said, preach about prayer, never dying. So my sermon title is Prayer Never Dies. Even though the one who prayed for me for it died a long time ago, prayer she offered never dies. Amen? Amen. And God heard my mom's prayer, and I became a pastor. And not only I became a pastor, my brother became a pastor. <laughs> My brother says, I had nothing to do with pastoral ministry. We already, we already have too many people. He said, I'm going to go out and make money. And he, go, he went out and made some money, and he invested with his friend and lost it all. And then my father didn't say anything. That bothered me. He didn't say anything to my brother. I thought he was easy on my brother. And then he came back to the Lord and said, you know what? I'm giving my life to him. So he became a pastor. And then my sister's like, man, we have too many pastors in our family. She said, I'm not going to marry a pastor. And then she ended up marrying a pastor. <laughs> and one day, in our brokenness, you know, my father remarried, and, and I had a real hard time calling my mom, new mom, a mother. If you had that experience, you know what I'm talking about. I was already grown up. And then in Korean custom, mother has the rice pot. That is a symbol of power. She has a rice pot. And then when you're, you know, when you're, you know, losing out of, you know, rice, and you got to call her. But I noticed that no one's calling her. Everyone's like acting like a beggar. Give me more rice, you know, <laughs> acting like a beggar. And I said, this is not going to happen. This cannot happen. Continue on, you know, like this. So I, I gather up my brothers and sister together. I said, tonight, I'm going to call her mother. 
And when I do, you better call her mother. And excuse me for my expression. And then I said, I mean, it, it's a, it works in Korea back then. I said, if you don't, I'm going to kill you guys. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just like, you know, Korean custom. I said, I'm going to like, you know, I used that fear tactic. And then my brother and sister were like, no way, no way you're not going to call her mother. And I was finishing up my rise, and I mustered my chapstick skill that I have developed for 18 years. I was picking on rice one by one. I only had five left. Finally, the last one I ate, and then my brother and sister were looking at me. No, you're not going to do that. And that, that night, that dinner, I looked at my mom. It was weird. It was not comfortable at all. But I said, Lord, help me. Help me to say this. This is very important for her, for us. I need to show her respect and love and affection. So I finally called her mom. I don't know how I called her. <laughs> like, like in Korean, mom means umma. I said, umma or something. And then, and then give me rice. And then as soon as I say the word umma, her eyes and my eyes just hit together and there was a spark. There's a spark. And then my mother gave me like, <laughs> so much rice I couldn't handle. And then, and, then, and then I was looking at my brother and sister, you better call her mother. And then that night, that night, they all call her the mother out of fear. <laughs> And the next night, my mother, my father went away for, for a business and because he was conference president. He was going everywhere. He was gone. And then my new mom and me and my brother and sister, we were worshiping together. And we were singing some song that I don't remember. And my mom started to cry. And so out of obedience, I started to cry. And out of fear, my brother and sister started to cry. <laughs> That's how my family worked. <laughs> and then everyone cried to a point where we became very embarrassed at the end. It's like, why are we crying? But, but something was overwhelming us. Something was overwhelming us. I knew, I knew that it was Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was touching our hearts. And my mom opened up and said, I know why you guys are crying. I know I have my own brokenness. You have your own brokenness for losing your mom. And now we are brought together. And then she goes, we are like the pot that has been broken into pieces. Yours and ours are all broken into pieces. But in God's love and in God's mercy, in his providential hand, God will and he can and he is bringing all of those pieces together and put, put it back together. He, she, my mom is funny. She literally uses this word. She said, God is going to use 
his crazy glue of love. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? This God is going to use his crazy glue of love and then put you together, put me together, put all of you together. Then when he put us together back again with his crazy glue, we're going to be more stronger than ever. And in that vessel, you and I will carry the treasure of God's love. And now, even my father died. My mom is the only one who's alive in California. And God has renewed our relationship in such a way that, you know how woman likes to receive phone calls from you? Preferably once a day at least from <laughs> sir. And then there was a time I had not even called her, even not once a month. I was really bad. But then I came to realize that, you know what? I need to really love my mom. I really need to love my mom. Because I had some doubt. I had some doubt as to, you know what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen if my mom, if my father dies, then I don't have any biological connection with my mom. So what's going to happen to that relationship? I was kind of afraid of, you know, that we would like fall apart. But guess what? When my father died, we all went into funeral home and then we were making an arrangement. And the funeral salesperson, they were into sale. They're like, hey, you know, you can actually dig the hole a little bit deeper so that when your mom dies, she was right there, then we can bury both of your parents together. I don't know if you know about Asian culture. In Asian culture, man is not allowed to go under. <laughs> we don't do this. We do it this way. But Americans are doing it this way, you know? And, but then I said, I didn't care because I became already American. I'm a Christian. And then I look at my mom. She never, ever felt really belonged to our family anyway. And then Lord gave me an insight that, you know what, my father already, already died. And therefore, the best gift I can give to my mom is to allow her to be buried with my father. So I said, yes, let's do that. And I could see the spark on her eyes. And then what happened? My brother just took off. He got so mad that I would put our own father under. And he had issues with me about that. And then I said, you know what? You know what? If you don't want to be under, don't die. Whoever dies first goes under. And that's Confucianism, which is very confusing. <laughs> we don't believe in it. I'm telling you this. It's because in our growing up years, we all have our own sorrows. We all have our own brokenness. We all have our own, you know, hurts to deal with. But it is that very place of brokenness 
is the place where God wants to reign over and God wants to bring healing in our lives in such a way that you and I become an what? Agent of transformation and change. Amen? Amen. Amen. With that in mind, let's talk about this point, okay? Let's talk about a couple of points about, about our growing up issues, the stuck point that we have in our lives. First of all, it's called what? Pacified. Do you have that with you? Pacified. Pacified is the one who receive all kinds of materialistic, materialistic gratification when parents are not able to give them emotional connection and so forth, and out of guilt and out of you know out of guilt a lot of times, and parents just pacify the kids in a way that that would make them irresponsible and allow them to be even ungrateful in the end. And then in the end, they become what? They become very codependent you know, on the system. You know what I mean? And a lot of the pacified children, this is what happens when it comes to pacified children, is that you and I are created to be filled with love. You and I are created to be filled with love. And I want to tell you, you and I, no matter whether you receive love from your parents and siblings and, you know, whatnot, you and I are created to be free to give love. Because love doesn't come from anybody else but from God, ultimately. So, this is a trick. While we have conflict in our relationship, while we may feel like I'm not getting what I need in, from relationship from my husband and wife and whatnot, the truth of the matter is that we are called to receive love and grace from God. So then when I am graced by God, I'm able to what? Grace my spouse and my children, other people, even when they do not meet my needs. That's freedom. In other words, free to be able to give even when we do not receive what we need. That's freedom. Amen? How many of you, des how many of you desire to uh, have that freedom in your life? Amen? Yeah, have that freedom in your life. So willing to give what, what you may not receive from other people. So you and I are made by God to be filled with love in a way that we feel, we're filled with love from God and in that we overflow to be able to give love to other people, right? And what happens when our love cup is empty, that we're not able to receive love from God, then we are filled with what? In this place of, we're filled with emptiness. And then this place of emptiness is filled with what? What happens when person feels empty? As much as you feel empty when it comes to love, then it becomes that this empty place becomes a place of anger. Anger or sadness. Sadness is something that you internalize. Anger is something that you, you know, uh, bring it out to, to the world. So it becomes a source of all kinds of addiction. And, and then 
This place of emptiness becomes a place of what? Addiction. You know what I mean? So I want to tell you that people who are pacified by providing everything, materialistic gratification and everything, then you become what? You become so empty, and then you end up, we end up being what? So addicted. I must tell you, a lot of the second generation immigrant family kids, they end up being what? So they are pacified and they end up being so addicted and then they become so irresponsible. I'm telling you, I'm dealing with a lot of the adult children who are in their 30s and 40s who are just irresponsible. I know a guy, I know a guy, smart guy, he went to Purdue and then he ended up dropping out because he feels like, you know, well, what's the point? Working so hard, I'm not going to live like that. So he came home, lived with his parents, totally pacified. Father and mother out of guilt and shame, just giving him everything, bail him out on everything. And then guess what happened? His days become night, his night become day. So when everybody goes out, he sleeps, and then 12 o'clock he gets up, goes shopping, does his own thing, eats. And he's already, what, 35 years old. So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do to break the cycle of this, this, this kind of uh, unhealthy pattern? What do you do? I've done many cases where I intervene in that, you know, I told parents, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you got to move out. You cannot kick them out. So you got to move out to a you know, studio where you barely have just two of you. And then, and, then, and then you put a sales sign and sell and then move out. And then you give him three months or six months of, uh, you know, just rent and then allow him to. And they did that. And then as a result, what happened to this pacified child? He had to grow up. Sometimes we have to force into the system to bring change, and sometimes it gets very, what, invasive. It gets very evasive, but you, you have to do what you got to do because, because pacified child can manipulate the situation to what? To try to, like, control the system in a way that nobody else can. Uh, there's so much to talk about, but, just, but let's just, just move on. Allowing the kids to be responsible is so important. So I want to tell you this. None of us, not, you know, in my life, ultimately, I'm responsible for my own life. Ultimately, in my life, I'm responsible for my own happiness and joy in my life. You know what I mean? I have a guy who come in and said, you know what, I'm 35 years old, and then I am what I am because of my mom and dad. They control my life, they map out my life, and I'm still dependent on them. And I said, how old are you, you said? So I'm 35. And you know what? You can no longer blame your parents anymore. Did you know that? After the, after the age of 21, you can no longer blame parents, according to the Bible. <laughs> because... because from the age of 21, you're, you can be drafted to military, according to Israel, and then that's the time you're responsible for your destiny and whatnot. You know what I mean? You can no longer blame parents. One guy came up to me and said, you know what? 
I made a biggest mistake in my life because I married this woman. He's an Indian guy. I married this American woman, and then she doesn't know how to save, and then she opens the can and then doesn't even use it and throw it away, and she drives me crazy, and she makes my life miserable. I said, are you telling me that uh, you're totally being controlled by your wife, and your, your wife is making your life miserable, therefore your life is miserable, so you have no choice to make, and... Basically, you're like being in bondage. And he said, no, 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 that's not what I am. I'm a man, you know, I'm like Indian man, you know. I'm spicy, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have my own spirit. And then, no, 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 you're saying that your wife makes you miserable, therefore you're miserable. If your wife makes you happy, you will be happy. Then you have no life, you have no choice. You're not a human being anymore. He said, what do I do? What do I do? And I want to tell you today that I am responsible for the choices that I make in my life. And the freedom in Christ is possible despite of what happens in our lives. Amen? And that's very, very important. And so, so I tell you, so, so this guy... You know what he did? So I told him, you know what? You need to break free from your mother's control in a way that you need to be financially free from her. You're 35 and you've been dependent on her. No wonder she controls you. And you need to appreciate that to begin with. But then you will never become a man unless... So guess what he did? So I gave him... I gave him one month of, uh, you know, rent. And then he went out looking for jobs. He was like actually a medical school dropout and so on. So he was overqualified for everything. But he found a job somewhere. And he was called to make $2,000 a month. And then the day came, he made $2,000. And then he brought it home with pride, and he gave that money first time in his life. While he had three kids, he gave that money to his wife, and then, hey, I made this money. And that day, he became a what? Man. Man. So, people telling me all kinds of things, and I want to tell you this. We have, this is our life. We have circumstances in our lives, then you and I react to it. Negative emotion to negative emotion, whatever. We react to it and then we become bondage to it. But God's way of freedom is that we are called to what? Not being influenced by our stimulus, but we are made to what? Respond to it in such a way that I can still make choices for freedom. Amen? I can still make choices for freedom. One day, we went to the hotel, hotel with my wife, and then we, you know, we were part of the seminar, and then we, you know, it was late, like 10.30 in the evening. We, we, we went in, and then a lady came and cleaned everything, and then she didn't leave any towers. 
And so my wife was about to take a shower, and she was like, hey, where's the tower? And that lady didn't leave any towers. And, you know, so she was kind of a little bit agitated. And I said, honey, we can still make a choice. I, I learned those things, so I'm, I'm learning to practice. So, hey, honey, we can still make a choice. Well, what kind of choice we can make? What kind of choice we can make? Huh? Don't take a shower. <laughs> okay, we can still make a choice that, you know what, okay, there is no tower. Instead of complaining about it, instead of like, you know, resulting into, succumb into a, a victim mentality, and I can say, you know what, okay, there's no tower, okay. I choose to the fact that there is no tower here, okay. But, you know what, there's so many towers all around this hotel. Next door neighbor probably have some tower or at the, at the information desk may have some tower. So I choose to have tower and I go down and then I said, I asked for towers and I brought a whole bunch of towers and then I said to my wife, here's towers. <laughs> One day I was about to sleep and this is not me actually. This is what somebody else, Gary, uh, the, the, the Gary Small was saying. Well, he was about to, he, he went on a big, long trip. He was ready to go home, and then it was cold winter night, and he was on the second floor, you know, and then as he went into his bed, it was cold. He had to warm up his bed to sleep, and he was getting a little bit warmed up, and he was getting really, you know, he was getting ready to sleep, and then his wife <laughs> called him up, reminding him, Honey! Did you turn off all the light? <laughs> and then at that point, he had a choice to make. <laughs> right? right? What kind of choice? What are some of the choices? Get out of bed and then go down and then turn it off and then come back up or what? Or what? Leave the lights on. Leave the lights on. <laughs> or, or, you tell your wife, you're too much. Why can't you go down and turn off the lights, right? And then you will have discussions, right? <laughs> and, and, and then during that moment of decision, value of decision, he made that choice to go down and turn off the, all the lights, came back up, and as he was about to go back to sleep, this is what his wife said. He said, wow, I'm so sorry that I was being so selfish. When you gone on a, that long trip, you came back, I asked you, to, I'm so sorry, I'm so spoiled. And then she goes, I tell you, for the rest of our lives, from now on, I'm going to turn up the light every night and then to that he goes no 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 I would be I would love to do that as long as I'm alive to be able to do it every time we have a choice to make one time one time I I gave a Bible study to a whole bunch of young people my English was really bad I gave a Bible study and then one guy literally sitting in front, of, in front of me like this with a Walkman, it happened a long time ago. He was going like this. 
I mean, it was the first day that I was being interviewed by that church, right? So I couldn't do anything to this guy. I got really irritated. And then after we finished everything, guess what happened? I said, I got to go talk to this guy. So I was going to him. He was running away from me. He felt guilty or something. He was running away from me. That's what sinners does, right? He was running away. I went and caught him. And then I said, hey, my Bible study must have been really boring to you for you to listen to musics like that. How can I make it interesting for you? And I tell you, he became one of the best allies in my ministry. And then one time I was preaching, and then kids were sleeping, kids were talking. I wrote down all of their names as I was preaching. And then afterwards, I mentioned all of their names. And they were coming out like a sinner, so like this. <laughs> Pastor, why? Okay. Next Tuesday, I want to take you out to pizza. I said, what pizza? Why, why, why? Don't ask me. I just love you guys. I want to take you guys out. So I took them out to pizza. Guess what? All of them came out to eat pizza. All the sinners gathered. <laughs> and I gave them pizza. And then afterwards, what happened? So they were asking, why, why are you feeding us? Like, is there something going on here? They were confused. I said, I just love you guys. Next Sabbath, I was preaching. All those kids, all those kids who were blessed by me, they were sitting in the front row. And when kids were trying to make noises, be quiet, Pastor, I'm just preaching. Man, pizza power was great. <laughs> when I had every reason to judge, when I had every reason to punish, I use it as a chance to give grace and love in such a way that our relationship became turned around. And I'm going to end with these thoughts. Sorry that we haven't covered all this stuff. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll do that some other time, okay? But I really feel like, I really feel like I'm glad to talk about this because I, I have a testimony to share. I've gotten in touch with this freedom in Christ so precious that I'm going to share, and I'm going to end with this. In my relationship with my wife, we had a lot of conflicts. Especially after five years into marriage, we had, we had a lot of conflicts in our marriage. I guess five-year period is really, you know, typical that, that you go through a lot of adjusting and all that. So I didn't like the way she was. She didn't like the way I do things. And we just both got irritated by each other, okay? Have you ever gone through those points in your marriage? Am I not alone? Am I making a fool out of myself? No, right? All have gone through that. All of us gone through that. So, so one day, my wife, not literally, symbolically, kicked me in the pants. You know, symbolically, not literally. She said, you know what? You got to take care of your relationship with God. And I said, you know what? You got to take care of your relationship with God. And so I went downstairs. I went into my closet, starting to pray and trying to really seek God. And then first time in my life ever, 
I've been a Christian from day one, but then first time in my life ever, I experienced what the grace of God for me was all about. First time. Every morning, I would open God's word, and I would experience God's love, God gracing me so much. I became, I became teared, and then amazing thing is that when I started to experience God's grace in my life, I began to hear things. I became very sensitive because before I couldn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, as I was doing my own Bible study downstairs in the morning, I could hear my son getting up. I could hear my daughter getting with three kids. And then guess what? I bought a back sack. And then six, six, six o'clock in the morning, I would go up and then take my son being in my back. It's when I'm graced by God. So I would go out. Walking me outside, I was reading the Bible like this, <laughs> and I was reading the Bible like this. Nothing can stop me from going to God's word, amen? Nothing can stop me from receiving God's grace. We need that every day. So I was receiving God's grace. I was like really being immersed into it. Guess what? Five minutes into it, my son looked at me. He was like two or three, very little. He looked at me, and then he would end up just like falling asleep because I think he, he knew that you know what, best thing I can do is to bless my dad, is to fall asleep again. <laughs> and then I would put him back in his bed, and then my daughter would get up, and then I would put him in my back. I would go out and just like doing this, and while my wife was just totally exhausted, and then first time in my life, I'm Korean man, and Korean men back then, not anymore, Korean men back then, we don't cook. We don't cook. We don't even go into the kitchen. That's how I grew up. But first time in my life, I was so graced by God. I said, I want to cook for my wife. But only thing I know how to make it was ramen, yeah, noodles. <laughs> but, 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 but I am sure my wife would not appreciate eating ramen in the morning. She's a very health-conscious lady. So I said, I didn't know what to make. I didn't know what to make. And then only thing I could find was oatmeal. Oh, this is easy. Just add water, you make oatmeal. It wasn't that easy. <laughs> I burned the oatmeal. I put too little water and burned it. And the smell of burning oatmeal going everywhere. And my wife woke up thinking that there's a fire. She came out and then she saw me while cooking. And, and something touched her. You see, when you're in touch with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit in you touches other people in your life. And the Holy Spirit touched her. And she had like a little bit of like moment of like, you know, yeah, inspiration. And then she looked at me, smiles. And then she came close to me and said, Son, it's more than fine. And she said, you and I today, we're going to offer a burnt offering to the Lord. <laughs> burnt offering to the Lord. And I tell you, that was the beginning of transformation in my relationship with my wife. Because I allowed God to grace me, and then I would free to love just for the love's sake. Amen? Amen. And so I have countless stories after stories 
But I want to tell you is that we all need to grow up to a place where we are so empowered by God, we are so graced by God to be an agent of transformation in the lives of people. I'm going to share with you one more story, this powerful story. There's one girl. And who was like already always criticizing me about everything. And I told you a little bit, I wanted her to be raptured and so on, right? And then I didn't follow up with the story. What happened was that one day I came to her, I was praying to God about her, and God said, you need to be changed. And then, and then finally I was so grace, and I was able to go to her and say, this is what I said. So and so, I want you to know that you are given with such a spirit of discernment and understanding. And... Even as I was saying it, I couldn't believe myself saying it. I felt like a hypocrite because deep inside is like, I don't believe this, but I was saying it. And then I said to her, you know what? I think one day you're going to make a great counselor. But deep inside, I would not go to her. You know? <laughs> but, 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 but guess what? Three years down the road, I went to PUC. And then I found her there. And she's majoring what? Counseling. Counseling. She's a clinical psychologist now. And so I want you to know today that 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 tells us that you and I are called to grow in the grace. This is what it says. Grace and knowledge of God, not saving knowledge of Jesus. And I tell you, there is no salvation, none other than Jesus Christ in our lives. In that, when Jesus graced me, then I'm able to be an agent of transformation in the lives of people. But I, let me tell you why. I'm going to end with this. Let me tell you why. How? You know, I figure, I figure I decided to change my topic a little bit today. Why well, figure? Because you all been lectured throughout the whole week. This is Friday you came here. I really feel like your heart needs to be touched, not just our mind. That's why I'm sharing what I'm sharing. I hope the Holy Spirit, I really believe the Holy Spirit is really touching our hearts. But this is what I want to share. When I say grace, I'm speaking from Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Romans chapter 5, 21 and on tells us, and also Romans chapter 5, verse 5 tells us that grace of God is more powerful than power of sin, right? And then this is the equation I came up with. When we think of grace of God, we only think of the cross. So... Grace equals with power of the cross. The kind of grace that God wants to give us is this. Power of the cross. How powerful it is. Power of the cross gives us forgiveness of sin, freedom from the punishment and the bondage of sin, you know, guilt of sin, consequences of sin. Power of the cross that's where we experience forgiveness. That's where we experience acceptance and all that. But much more than that, 
if you study the Bible on grace, I mean, I study a great deal, Romans and all that, Colossians and all that stuff. Power of the cross plus what? Power of the what? Power of the resurrection. Amen? Grace equals with what? Power of the cross plus what? Power of the resurrection. How powerful that is. Let me tell you how powerful that is, okay, as we close our message today. It is equals with, it is equals, the grace of God is equals with 144,000. 144,000 will be saved, and 144,000 equals with 12 times 12 times 1,000, okay? Symbolically speaking, 144,000 are going to be saved, and they are the one, Ephesians 2 tells us that they are, they are the one who experience the incomparable, follow after me, incomparable. incomparable. Come on, it's almost over. Incomparable. incomparable. Riches, Riches of God's grace. God's grace is already immeasurable, but the Paul says that when he thinks of God's grace who saved him, transformed him, he says it's incomparable riches of God's grace. Bigger than biggest, mega. And then it is equal with 144,000. I mean, I don't have time to explain in detail why 144,000. They are the one who's gone through persecution, great deals in their lives. They are the one who has... God, who has overcome insurmountable difficulties in their lives, they became triumphant in their lives by choosing Christ, by choosing to receive God's grace in their lives, almost to a point, to a point where it equals with what? 12 times, 12 times, 1,000. 12 is the kingdom number in the Bible because 12 represents plentifulness. That plentifulness has everything to do with the plentifulness of God's grace. And then Jesus fed 5,000 people. How many baskets of bread were, I mean, baskets of uh, bread were left over? 12. So 12 is kingdom number because it represents the plentifulness of God's grace. And follow with me. Plentifulness of God's grace times what? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Be like Afro-American who knows how to like preach back at me or that, okay? Okay, okay. So plentifulness of God's grace. Let's do this, everyone. Plentifulness of God's grace. And then what? Times what? Plentifulness of God's grace. Times what? Thousand times. So how much of God's grace? Huh? How big is God's grace? immeasurable, limitless grace of God coming to you today to empower you, transform you, free you. You might tell me, Pastor Ram, what I go through is impossible to go through. Well, God only deals with the impossible. Amen. What's possible with man? Hey, you do it. All humanity shares one problem. We have the kinds of problem that is beyond us. Amen? Amen? And therefore, I'm getting so excited to realize every day God wants to give me this kind of grace that is equal with the power of the cross 
combined with power of resurrection. And he saves me today and tomorrow with a life of God that is equal with power of the cross and the resurrection in that it is incomparable riches of God's grace. As long as God's grace is with me, as long as I am incorporating that grace in my life, as long as I'm open to that grace, as long as I'm choosing to receive that grace and activate that grace in my lives, our lives will be a life of transformation. And then, guess what? Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2 as a closing. Amen? Amen. I end up preaching to you guys. Sorry. Sorry. I end up preaching. I'm a preacher anyway. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. I want to give you hope today from God's word. Amen? Ephesians chapter 2. It says, let's read verse 6. Okay? God raised us up with Christ. Man, this is another concept. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. We're not even here. We're up there already. We have made it up there. Whoa. We're not only going to heaven, we're coming out of heaven as well. We're coming out of the most holy place. Not only we are moving into the most holy place, not only we are moving towards salvation, we're moving out of salvation. This is an amazing, amazing concept of Paul. And then he said, in the coming, he said, in order that in the coming ages, this is crazy. In the coming, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. In other words, God has a plan for you to showcase the power of God's grace through your life. That when you get to heaven, all inhabitants of the universe will get together. And what is your name? Laura. Laura. And then when I get to heaven, there is a big poster. Man, I, I saw this lady. She came to my seminar. And then there's a poster, Laura, speaking at Mars. <laughs> and then find out that where billions of people will get together. And she's the single speaker. And who's going to introduce her? Jesus Christ is going to introduce her. And she's going to be up there showcasing the incomparable riches of God's grace. And because of that grace, you have made the way you have made. Amen? Amen. You and I are here in this place of brokenness, in this place of emptiness, in this place of suffering. Man, I am part of the prayer ministry. I'm telling you, there's so much suffering. There's so much in the lives of people. People just come to you, even today, people just come to you as soon as they kneel and just like pouring out and crying and just people have, having gone through this point of breakdown in our lives so much. But hell, hold on, hang on, don't give up. Because the grace of God will showcase the power in such a way 
the impossibility become possibility in Christ. And you and I are here to be a showcase for the whole universe. And then you and I are preparing the message that you will share throughout the universe, eternity to eternity. Amen? Amen. How many of you, your life, your, your life to be used by God to showcase God's grace for the rest of your life? Not only that, we are, we are, we are, God is preparing us to be a speaker for heaven. Amen? Amen. Eternity to eternity. 144,000. And I came here to showcase that to you, that His grace is real, more than real. Amen? Amen. And we all can grow up in Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I'm just an earthen vessel. What can I say? What can I do? What can I teach to bring hope in the place of hopelessness? bring help in the place of helplessness, bring uh, your comfort in the place of sorrow. Father, you are the one of hope. You are the one of power. You are the one who can truly transform our lives. You are the one who can bring breakthrough in the place of breakdown in our lives, Lord. May you be all that you are. As long as your grace is available, grace of God is available, that transforming grace of God is available today, we have hope. We can go to you. We can choose to live life. We can experience your freedom in you in such a way that we would be an agent of transformation in the lives of others, Lord. May that transformation be begins with us every days of our lives, and may it permeate throughout the people of influence that we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.